Good morning. Well, it's a joy and privilege to share the word of the Lord for you. And uh, I want to encourage the worship team. I always believe that the worship team is a, has got a prophetic age. And uh, every time you, you come up and lead in worship, because you are not taking the first five songs in the songbook, and then the next week, the next five. No, you don't do that. You, you wait upon God. And you, you actually sing a very prophetic song, which I would like you to sing at the end of the service. And this, uh, what a beautiful name we have, the last song that he sang. And, and that is the key to my message, <laughs> the name of Jesus Christ. In rebuilding the walls, as we look at um, the book of Nehemiah, the key is the name of the Lord. The only reason that Nehemiah succeeded was because of the name of the Lord. And anyone, and please listen, this is the actual summary of my message. Anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, anyone who aligns himself or herself with the name of the Lord, you will be a great blessing to the nations, wherever you go, anywhere and everywhere. And you see in the book of Nehemiah that there was this one man, one man, it took just one man who aligned himself to that beautiful name, the name of the Lord. And he did wonderful things. He went into the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He went into the restoration of Jerusalem. He went into the renewal of Jerusalem. He went into the revival of Jerusalem simply because he aligned himself to the name of the Lord. And I want to say this the same. Whether you are a student, you align yourself to the name of the Lord and God pours wisdom and understanding and knowledge into you. If you are a working professional, you would align yourself to the name of the Lord, looking for his glory in the working place. God gives you wisdom as he had poured wisdom upon Daniel and you will shine for the Lord. The word of the Lord for you is align yourself to the name of the Lord as Nehemiah did and you will bring forth restoration. You will bring forth renewal. You will bring forth rebuilding. You will bring forth revival. That is essence, my message this morning. But let's get to the passage. <laughs> the title of my message is how to rebuild a missional community. A look at Nehemiah. Now, I've preached on Nehemiah several times, but this time I want to take the missional aspect of Nehemiah. Now, <clears throat> whenever you look at the book of Nehemiah, there are three things, or any book in the Old Testament, you need to do three things. God always uses a person. Okay? Number one, God always uses the person, but behind that person stands the nation of Israel. Just like yourself. You're a person, but behind you stands your family, <laughs> stands the group of people. Right? So, the first thing is, God always uses a person, so, but behind that person stands the nation of Israel. So you need to know what God is doing with that nation of Israel. Not just what God is doing with this person. When God is dealing with this person, God is dealing with the nation. The third thing you need to look at, uh, beside the person and Israel, you have to look at God. So whenever you look at any Old Testament book, 
you look at the person, and behind that person, you look at the nation, and behind the nation, you look at God. Amen? Amen. It doesn't matter who preaches here, uh, you just have to look at the Old Testament that way. The person, the nation of Israel, and then God. Okay. So with that in mind, we want to look at Nehemiah. And as I said, it is rebuilding. Rebuilding a missional uh, community. Okay. Uh, how does this work? Okay, there it is. Now, the point of the whole man uh, of this passage is this, uh, the, at least chapter 1 of the entire book. God is looking for men and women, wanted men and women. All right? If you are connected with God, and that is important, if you are connected with God, if you are aligned with the name of God, and if you are concerned about God's will, not only you are connected with God, you are concerned with God's will, and you have compassion for the lost, you have, com you have compassion for the troubled, you have compassion for the distressed, you have compassion for the discouraged. There's something about discouraged. The opposite of being discouraged is being encouraged. The word courage, the root word is heart. When you are discouraged, life comes out of it. I mean, you, you lose life as it were. But when you are encouraged, life comes in. And that's why you say, oh, it's so encouraging. Life seems to flow in. But when you are discouraged, life seems to ebb from you. And you want to do something about it. That's the other thing. Not only your concern, not only your compassion, but you want to do something about it. Then God is looking for you. God is looking for you. Now you might ask me, uh, in the Bible, why does God use certain persons? He uses certain persons simply because of these three things lining up. The person has a concern uh, for God, God's will, God's people, has got compassion, and he wants to do something. The key here is compassion, the kindness of God. Okay. All right, we want to take a look at Nehemiah, how he had rebuilt a community that had suffered trouble and distress, and against all odds, against all Odds. As you look through the entire book, as you go on week by week, you will find he had faced great opposition. Just because you are doing God's work doesn't mean you won't face opposition. Sometimes the opposition is within, just as uh, uh, Nehemiah faced. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name. What a powerful name. A name that saves, a name that heals, a name that restores, a name that rebuilds, a name that renews, and a name that revives. What a beautiful name. And Lord, may that name be deeply implanted in each and every one of us that we would become builders, restorers, those who would renew faith and those who would revive, those who are discouraged. We thank you, Lord, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit to be with us. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon me and also upon my brothers and sisters here that their hearts be open to hear the voice of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1. Did I jump? Yeah, okay. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 are key. Right? These are, these, these are key verses where he says in verse 3, they said to me that those with, who survived the exile and are back in the provinces are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. I need to stop and, and say about what is gates and, and walls. Now, whenever we look at Nehemiah, I remember once preaching uh, Nehemiah many years ago here, in fact, exactly 2011, I think, and uh, someone came to me, why are we talking about walls when we should be building bridges? Well, the answer I told him was, first of all, uh, the passage is about walls. <laughs> it's not my idea. You know, but I also want to say what walls and gates mean. And you need to write this down. Those are those, Jerusalem those days are city-states. Just like Singapore is a city-state. Do you follow? Right? Singapore is a city-state. So, so Jerusalem was a city-state. So you have this city. So one of these is, is Jerusalem. And what do walls and gates represent? And of course, there are many things about walls and and gates. It talks about uh, safety, protection, uh, watchfulness, uh, security. You can think about all that. But more than that, more than that, walls and gates speak of identity. They speak of identity. Right? Even to today, isn't it? You go back to your house, your house. There's a number on your house. <laughs> hey, where do you live? You, that's the address. So it gives you identity. That's important. You need to keep identity there. And when, when the walls are broken and gates are break down, the identity is lost. Okay? And then <clears throat> in verse 4, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I moaned and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. The word, the God of heaven. The God of heaven. What did Nehemiah do? He allied himself to the name of God. How? He started to pray. Alright? He started to pray. Alright. The first thing I want to say here is that, when we read verses 1 to 3, that he was a man of concern. Okay, man of concern. Let's read. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev. Now, Kislev here simply means November or December, okay, of the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, some places Sushan. <clears throat> Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Now, uh, Nehemiah was in the Persian Empire. He was one of those who was taken captive, as it were, out of uh, Jerusalem. And he is in the Persian Empire. And this is far away. And now he is hearing reports of Jerusalem. Okay? It is very much like people who have migrated from, Austra from Malaysia to Australia in Melbourne. 
right and when some of you go to visit them in melbourne they ask you how is malaysia how is fga how is kuala lumpur how is the klang valley so he was far away removed from jerusalem in the persian empire and here he receives the report and <clears throat> he says in verse 3 In, in in verse three, by the way, I just wanted to add here. In in verse two, um, it, it, it talks about. Sorry, I'm I'm pressing the the wrong one. Okay, in verse two, though the NIV says about, he asked about the Jewish remnant. The some other translations, including the New James King James version, actually says concerning the Jewish remnant, concerning Jerusalem. He was a man of concern. All right, he was a man of concern. Verse 3. They said to him, or they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Some translation says they are in bad shape. They are in bad shape. Some say they are under great affliction and reproach. In trouble. Now, I want to say this. When there is a loss of identity... We are in trouble. <laughs> okay. When there is a loss of identity, we are in trouble. We don't know who we are. You know, sometimes you go through trouble, we say we don't know who we are. And we don't know where we are going. And so, here they say they are under great distress uh, and trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Remember Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where God said, I will put my name there. That is where the name of the Lord will dwell. Now, what happens to the name of the Lord when our identity is lost? The name of the Lord moves into the background. And those of us, we are going through disgrace or those affliction and trouble. Sometimes the name of the Lord is far away. Very, very far away. And then, <clears throat> he was not only a man of concern, he was asking them, man of concern, uh, he was a man of compassion. He was a man of compassion. Now, at this point of time, you might be asking, how do I become a man of concern? Because in the beginning I said, wanted, needed, men and women who are concerned. How do we become Men, of, men and women of concern. Number one, you must be able to identify with the trouble and afflictions of others. You must be able to identify with what they are going on. If you cannot identify, you, you cannot have concern. Right? Um, so, for example, if you have gone through failures, then when you hear someone having failed, you can identify with that. Okay? And so, I, how do you get concerned when you have, when you can identify with them? Identify now with what happened to Jerusalem. Later you will see uh, the cause for it. Now, when you identify that something happens to you, compassion, here he says in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down. He said, I sat down and wept. You know, there are two kinds of weeping. One, while standing, when you hear the news, you can be weeping. 
But if you sit down and weep, that weeping is much greater than the one standing. You sit down. In fact, when that anguish comes upon your soul, you actually fall down on your knees and you begin to weep. And that's what he did. You know. It's sometimes, you know, when, when, when you hear parents, and especially during exams, you know, those days exams are a big thing, whether it is SPM, HSC, those days what we have. Uh, and if they hear that, that their, their children have passed, they are really jubilant. But if they heard that their children had failed, I don't know whether you have seen it, the father or a mother will sit down and put their hand over their head. <laughs> They'll sit down. The distress is so great. They're able to identify. They sit down. And, and here you see that he wept. And for some days he mourned. Wow. He mourned. He cried over it. Compassion. Okay. So compassion causes us to identify or identification of the people in distress. And then he said here that he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Compassion. Now, the key word in compassion is actually kindness. Kindness. How do you get compassion? Earlier we said you want to be concerned, a man or woman of concern, you need to learn to identify with the people. The only way you can identify with the people is to be amongst them. Now, I've been to a place where there are a lot of refugee children, and this is in Klang. I've heard of them, but when I went and visited them, and I, I, I saw their faces, walked into their classrooms, then I could identify. There were children who were not able to go to school, in the normal school. So you have to be there. In order to identify, you have to be there in that place. And so, compassion. Oh, we need to pray for the kindness of God in our hearts. But you know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is actually kindness. Right? Kindness. It says the fruit of, in fact, the Spirit produces kindness. We need to ask, now, it is not automatic, by the way. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to say, put kindness upon my heart. Put kindness. And God will answer that. Put kindness. So the root of compassion is actually kindness, the kindness of God. And then he goes on. Not only a man of compassion, he was a man of prayer. He did something. Now, do not just look at prayer as, some, as, a, as oh, we ought to do something. But before action, that ought to be prayer. How do you align yourself with the name of the Lord? Prayer. How do you align yourself with the name of the Lord? Worship. How do you align your, the, uh, yourself with the name of the Lord? Praise. How do you align yourself with the name of the Lord? Supplication. He was a man of prayer. And here, in, interestingly, this entire chapter, the large portion of it is taken up by his prayer. And there is a reason for it. Prayer means you are actually engaging God. Only God has a solution. Only the Lord, the name of the Lord, is not what we do. It is what God will do in and through you. Remember what I said? The man, the nation, and God. God works through the person for the nation. And so, prayer is essential. We are talking about rebuilding. Some of you may be thinking about rebuilding your own lives, restoring your own life. The first thing you need to do is to come before the Lord, God. 
prayer. Now, what happens here? Uh, first of all, the duration of prayer. You know, in, in verse 1, it says, in the month of Kislev. All right? How long did he pray? In the month of Kislev. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, in the month of Nisan. Now, if Kislev means November and December, Nisan means uh, March and April. All right? And then later you actually find, uh, in verse 6, he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer a servant is praying before you day and night. He was praying day and night. And how long did he pray? Now, if you just work out, November, December to March, April, at least he was praying for four months. Wow. Now, sometimes just one word prayer will not do that. If you're talking about a national kind of, of, of revival, we need that long-term prayer, as it were. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer before he called the 12 disciples. Before he went to the cross, he spent that night in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And here he was praying, because he's far removed from, from Jerusalem. He was in, uh, in, Persia, in the Persian Empire under King Atixus. And he's, in order for him to go, he has a lot of obstacles. First, he needs to get a permission. Second, he needs to mobilize resources. It's not easy. So sometimes it might look like it is not possible, but God will do something through prayer. He spent a long time in prayer. Long time in prayer. Duration of prayer. This is serious, huh? This is serious. We do not know. He says here, day and night. I don't know whether he prayed. Of course, he was continuing to be a, a cup bearer in the king's court. That means he has, he has got work to do. I don't think he prayed 24-7. But definitely he had times of prayer. Just like Daniel, as his custom was, he said. He would pray three times a day. So he would have that periods of prayer. But definitely for a pr pr protracted period of time. Four months, at least. Four months. A man of prayer. Number two, we look at the content of prayer. He confesses the name of the great God. He sees God first. Yes, he sees the problem, but he begins to see God. And you see that in verse 5. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. This beautiful name that we sang, this powerful name, this is the name of the Lord who created heaven and earth. This is the uh, name of the God who, who raised up Israel. This, he is the one who parted the Red Sea. He is the one who dried up the river Jordan. He is the one who led Israel by cloud uh, in the, during the day and, and a pillar of fire during the night. This is this God. When we say the name of Jesus, this beautiful name. And why did he do it? You know, all the things that he do, did, God did including the creation of heaven and earth, including the raising up of the uh, nation of Israel, including the deliverance of Israel, all because of the kindness of God. Go back and read Psalm 136. Everything that God did was because of his kindness. Kindness. Psalm 136. And so, he looks to this great God. And then, you see that great plea. He said, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. 
for your servants, the people of Israel. I want to stop here. He recognizes himself as a servant. Servant of the Lord. And not only that, Israel as his servants too. As his servants too. In lining up with the name of the Lord, not only we are sons and daughters, we are servants of the Lord. Amen. That is a great identity. Amen. The identity as sons and daughters, but also as servants of the Lord. Great identity as servants of the Lord as we begin to pray. And then he goes on to see in verse, uh, part of verse 6, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. We have sinned. We have disobeyed. We have disobeyed. He didn't say they did. He said he identified me, my family. He identified with the sins of the people. Okay. All right. So you see the, the, the great God. You see the great plea, the great confession. One of the things is to confess our sins before the Lord. And then in, in verse 8 and 9, and this is very powerful is the great promise and the great name of God. Remember the instruction you gave your servants Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's what has happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the Father's horizon, I will gather them from, that, from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. My name. For my name. Now I want to say this, for some of us sitting here, and I don't some of you online. If you feel you are far away from God, the way to, is to come back to the Lord. That's it. Return to the Lord. Now, how do you return to the Lord? You return to the Lord through His Word. You return to the, to the Lord through, uh, through prayer. You return to the Lord through obedience. Return to the Lord. Align yourself to the name of the Lord. The first thing to return, first thing to do when you return to the Lord is prayer. So, return to the Lord. And he said, I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. This name is very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. In fact, um, it, it goes on to say in, in another place, uh, verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Your name. And then in Nehemiah 9, you know, there was a prayer. And in verse 5, it says, Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. Again, the name of the Lord. And then in verse 9, you saw the suffering. This is Nehemiah 9. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For he knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself which remains to this day. Again, the name, the name, the name. The name. You actually can turn on, turn and look at Deuteronomy 12, verse 5, where he has said, It is in Jerusalem I have chosen a place where my name will be exalted. The name of the Lord. The name. Align yourself to the name of the Lord. And I want to say this. When Nehemiah started to pray, he began to align himself to the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. And then in, in uh, verse 10, it, it goes on to the great request. He says, or supplication, 
They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. He's actually declaring it. And then verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, referring to the king. Because he's going to make a request to the king. And that is why he said, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That request, that supplication. And he said, I was the cup bearer to the king. He was a man of prayer. But he was not just a man of prayer. He was a man of action. And I just want to quote two other scriptures, though it is in chapter 2, but just to make a point. In verse 12 he says, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Where did he get this? Where did he get this? That what God had put in his heart, it is in the place of prayer. It is in the place when you align yourself to God, God begins to put something in your heart, what you are going to do. It is in the place of prayer. You want to bring restoration, you want to bring renewal, you want to bring rebuilding, you want to bring uh, uh, revival. Well, God has to put that in your heart. And it is in times of prayer, he puts it, puts it in. You know, when we were in the missions department, I, I can tell you, the mission department moved by the Spirit of God through prayer. Because in times of prayer, and we prayed every week, we spent one hour every week in prayer. No discussion, just prayer. And in the times of prayer, God put something in our heart. God put some things in your heart. Wow. I, I, you know, this is a very key verse. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. This is very important. Very important. It could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be something that God wants to do, put in his heart. But later we'll find out what it is. Actually, you'll find that in verse uh, 17. He says here, in verse 17, uh, <clears throat> He was a man of action. So in verse 17, he, it says, Then I said to them, You see the troubles we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, you must understand that he was far away in the Persian Empire, far away from Jerusalem, but God had put in his heart, Rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Wow! <laughs> it is like God putting in your heart you'll become the prime minister of Malaysia to restore this nation. But God had put, has to put it in your heart. Not just a wishful thinking. God has to put it in your heart. So here he, he was. And he was a man of action. So you, we stop here for a moment. He was a man who was concerned. He was a man uh, of compassion. He was a man of prayer. And it is in that prayer that he became a man of courage because he's only a cupbearer and he has to speak to the king to say, I'm going to rebuild. Courage comes through prayer. And then he was a man of action. He was someone who would do what God had put in his heart. Okay. All right. What he tells us is this. We can rebuild, restore, and renew a missional community. 
Now, you might say, Dorai, I understand, I understand that. That is uh, Nehemiah, but I am not Nehemiah. <laughs> I am not Nehemiah, how can I do that? Well, let me say this, that if you align yourself to the name of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you will be able to rebuild a missional community. Because we see that in Isaiah. And this is a very powerful verse. Isaiah 61. You remember that, that famous uh, passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. You remember that? Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day, and the day of vengeance. But if we come down to verse 4, he says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places, uh, uh, the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That means under the spirit of God, as you align yourself with the name of God, with the name of Jesus, under the spirit of God, you will be able to rebuild. You will be able to restore. You will be able to renew. You will be able to revive under the spirit of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And as I thought about this, you know, I remembered this one. Who is it that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? When Nehemiah looked at Jerusalem, he had compassion because they were harassed because the walls were broken. The gates were, were burnt. And they were helpless. And they were like sheep without a shepherd, which is indeed so. They had no leader. And later you'll read that he became governor <laughs> over that province of Jerusalem. All right? So they were like sheep without a shepherd. What was it? As, as I looked at this, you know, we are here today. We know the name of the Lord. We can sing this name, this beautiful name. But do you know outside this building, there are people like that. There are people like that that they do not know. Who are these people? If some of you already know this scripture. This comes out of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And let me just read this. This is a very... Uh, common or if not well-known scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Prayer. What is your harvest field? Yours could be the school. They are harassed and helpless and without a shepherd. They do not know the name of the Lord. You know the name of the Lord. When you are in trouble, you can call upon the name of the Lord. They do not know how to, the, the name of the Lord. I was talking to some students. I say, how big is your class? 200 students. How many Christians? Maybe two or three. The rest of them are not. I remember during this pandemic time, COVID, I overheard a, a group of people. They're not Christians. They were filled with fear. Their talk was filled with fear. You and I can call upon the name of the Lord, but they were filled with fear. 
they were harassed, helpless, and we thought they were like sheep without a shepherd. For us, God had to put compassion on our hearts when we see the people who are without God, who are without the name of the Lord. And so, as I come, Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, as you look, you know, you want to rebuild. No, of course you might say, we want to rebuild ourselves. But my friends, you have been rebuilding yourself for how many years now? <laughs> week after week when you come here, what about that outside? Far away, just like Nehemiah saw uh, from the Persian Empire to Jerusalem. He saw them harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We see our people in our workplace. We see in our neighborhood. I go for my walks almost every morning and I see many of them in darkness. How do we build? You know, okay, in Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 46 to 48, and this is, and can I have the worship team up? Um, <clears throat> it says here, Jesus says, this is what is written. When he said this is what is written, he's speaking about the Old Testament, yeah? He's not talking about the New Testament. He said this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Will be preached in his name. Again, the name of the Lord. Beginning at Jerusalem. You know, you and I as witnesses. And then in verse 48 he says, you are my witnesses. And so as a witness, we have the message of the gospel. And we have a mission. And the mission is to proclaim the gospel. And we go in his name. We are not just going by ourselves. We are going in his name under the power of the Holy Spirit. But you might say, right. today we can preach in the name of Christ. What about in the Old Testament? How did they preach repentance and forgiveness? You know how they preach? Again, the name. They said, this God who made heaven and earth, this God who made all those animals and plants, this God who raised uh, Israel as a nation, this God who made men and women in his own image, this God that delivered uh, Israel from, from Egypt, this God that gave Israel inheritance, this God loves you and forgives your sins when you turn to him. The name of the Lord. This God, whose name, who says I am. This God, whom we call Yahweh in Old Testament. Still the name, still the name, still the name. In the Old Testament, it is still the name of the Lord. Whoever would turn to the name of the Lord and say, forgive me, God. Of course, God, a series of sacrifices. But today, Jesus has paid that price, that one sacrifice, once and for all. Now his name, we can preach. Amen? It is this name, this powerful name, this beautiful name, the name that is above all names. As you align yourself, you will become the person of concern. You will become the person of compassion. You will become the person of prayer. You will become the person of action to rebuild to restore, to renew, 
and to revive a community. Hallelujah. I sense an anointing in this place as we sang that song. I want you to rise to your feet. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord would fall upon us this morning. And today, I would say, I want to align myself to the name of the Lord. The name of Jesus Christ that is above all names. And that by His Spirit and by His Word. And as I align myself to this name of Jesus Christ, my King, my Lord. That He will make me a man of concern, a woman of concern. He will make me a man and a woman of compassion. He will make me a man or a woman of prayer. He will make me a man or a woman who would rebuild, restore, renew and revive. Hallelujah.